center and coming in is Bloom. Millendike centered it. Flames Talk with Pat Steinberg and Aaron Vickers on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, let's get this hour underway on a Thursday, February 8th with Vickers of NHL.com. Pat Steinberg along with you as we kick things off on the Sports Drive. Brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Simplify your life with a security ecosystem. Go to CalgaryLockandSafe.com to request a security audit and get a tailored solution. Well, I don't know about you, Vicks, but... It kind of feels like we're moving towards a conclusion, a resolution, whatever word you want to use when it comes to the, the Chris Tanev conversation and the Chris Tanev uncertainty. Uh, lots of eyes Thursday night on whether he's going to take the warm-up. I think there will be until a signing or a trade has been official. There's going to be a lot of eyes as to whether or not Tanev takes warm-up Thursday against New Jersey, Saturday against the Islanders, Monday against the Rangers, so on and so forth. Um, Here's Elliot Friedman in his latest 32 Thoughts written edition. This is verbatim. Uh, This was posted at sportsnet.ca on Wednesday night. Uh, And this is just straight verbatim from Elliot. I can only imagine how tired Tanev is of this already. There are a lot of teams interested in him, but it's a unique market. There are teams who aren't ready to win this year, but are determined to be a playoff team next year, Ottawa. There are teams who aren't yet sure if rentals make sense for them, New Jersey. There are teams who like him, but find it tricky cap-wise and trade-wise, Boston, Tampa Bay, Toronto, Vancouver. I suspect Dallas lurks, which makes a lot of sense. Undoubtedly, there are others I'm missing He's the Taylor Swift of trade deadline coverage that comes from Elliot Friedman in the latest 32 Thoughts, which is available at sportsnet.ca. First of all, maybe the most accurate thing, and everything Elliot says is accurate, but the most accurate thing that he just said there is that Chris Tanev is so tired of this. That is not the type of guy who likes being in the limelight. That is not the type of guy who likes being anything but a soft-spoken guy who blocks shots with his face and does everything to help a team win hockey games. And that, that's all he cares about. He, he has zero desire to ever talk to us that's not because he doesn't like us. He just doesn't like to be in the spotlight. He'll have a casual conversation with you for sure. He has zero desire to be the bell of the ball at trade deadline time. The the number one defenseman at, at trade deadline time. Like he he has no interest in this. And yeah, I know that Chris Tanev is tired of this and would like a resolution one way or the other. And he's just sick of hearing people ask him about it or hearing people talk about it, or whatever the case may be. That much is 1 million percent accurate, as is the rest of Elliot's report, because, you know, it's funny. You could point to any team, just in the Western Conference, you point to, we had this exercise on, on Wednesday, you point to any of the six teams that you can squint and say, not even squint and say, yeah, that team could be in the Western Conference Final. So go take a look at the, I think we went six, right? Vancouver, Vegas, Colorado, Dallas, Winnipeg, and there's one other in there uh, that we talked about. Like, you add Chris Tanev to that group in the Western Conference, they go from being maybe in the Western Conference final to you could easily see them in the Stanley Cup final. Chris Tanev pushes any team in this league to another level. And, and, and specifically teams 
who have eyes on making noise in the playoffs or getting themselves to the playoffs, that type of player takes you from one level and instantly brings you to the next because that's the type of impact he has on any pairing he plays on. First off, tip of the cap for the, he's the Taylor Swift of the trade deadline coverage line too. I feel like that needs to be reinforced and highlighted again. And to your point about Chris Tanev being tired about this, this is the player that I've probably had the luxury of covering the most or the longest that seeks the least amount of attention, seeks the least amount of spotlight, hates talking about himself, was more than willing to talk about his D partner or another player on the team, but just absolutely would love it if he could just hide isn't the right word because he'll never hide, he'll never avoid, he'll never duck. But if he never got called to the front of the, uh, the scrum ever again, I'm sure he'd be more than happy. Now, to your point about running through the list of teams that would be better with Chris Tanov, the list is 31 long. You can make an argument whether it's the Colorado Avalanche adding him and being a piece, whether it's in the middle pair or the bottom pair to really solidify a group and, and really elevate a penalty kill. Yeah, you can sell me on that all day. The Ottawa Senators or the Montreal Canadiens, for example, who are on the outside looking in that, you know, it's not going to go their way this year. They can still use a Chris Tanev because he's such a culture setter. Even without saying a word, he sets the culture with some of the stuff that he does on the ice and his willingness to sacrifice his body for the greater good. And then you mentioned it, a bubble team that's on the outside looking in, looking to shore up their defense, or maybe there's some injury trouble. The New Jersey Devils are mentioned in Elliott's column, and we've talked about them before, of being maybe they're not really ready to be a rental team yet, but he would instantly make the New Jersey Devils better as well. So it's not hard to come up with a list of 31 other teams that should be knocking on a door for Chris Tanev, which maybe to an extent is a reason why the Calgary Flames could look at the route of, of keeping him. I don't necessarily think that's the route to go on an unrestricted free agent, Chris Tanev, but it's not hard to see why every competitive team or teams that are striving to be competitive in the near future would have Chris Tanev near the top of the list of players that they want to acquire for the short, short term, pardon me, and for the next couple of years. Well, and I mean, he just is what every team in the league is looking for come playoff time. Mm-hmm. You can have a good blue line. Well, he makes your blue line that much deeper, right? Oh, Edmonton was the other team I was thinking about because uh, uh, um, on Stoff's show, Oilers now on Wednesday, I believe uh, I believe that name was linked to the Oilers as well okay. as, a potential, um, as a potential landing spot. So there's Edmonton, Vegas, Vancouver, Winnipeg, Dallas, Colorado as six potential Western Conference teams that would be all over them. And then don't forget about some of those Eastern Conference teams that would love to have them as well. Whether it's whether it's a Panthers team, whether it's a um, a Maple Leafs team that obviously has eyes on him, and if I, I believe the Maple Leafs have tried multiple times to try to bring Chris Tanev into the fold, so I guess two things here. Number one, does it feel like maybe we are coming to the conclusion here? There's enough buzz out there, whether it's Saravali, whether it's Frege, whether it's Drager. Like there's enough, there's enough of the insiders who are talking about this heating up and being close and maybe moving towards a, an actual resolution. It, it feels like it's knocking on the door, which is why so many of us are keeping our eyes on warm-ups and whether or not 
Tanev plays in games or if the Flames decide to sit him out for precautionary reasons? I think it's close, and the thing that I look to the most is the fact that Elias Lindholm went a month before the NHL trade deadline. If Craig Conroy gets his asking price, he'll circle back once to the other interested parties, and if they don't up or match or present a more desirable package, and Craig Conroy has a legitimate bona fide offer on the table that he deems is good value coming back, then he's willing to pull the trigger at any point. So if Elias Lindholm has taught us anything, you meet Craig Conroy's asking price, you're going to get that player. And I can see, as we talk about all the potential landing spots, if you can get an extra month out of Chris Tanev, why wouldn't you do the trade in advance of the trade deadline, get him more ready for the playoffs, get him used to your systems. Systems generally are starting to be more and more similar across the board, but each one has its own unique twist or its own unique little thing that you've got to tweak. So if you're going to be willing to pay X value on March 8th, why not pay it on February 8th and just get that much more runway with them, get them used to your system, used to your team, used to your coach, used to everything around the organization. Because I don't think Craig Conroy is going to hesitate to make a trade if you meet his asking price. Um, second part is what can you get for him? And that is the fascinating part. Maybe the most fascinating part, because I don't think it is out of the equation at all or out of the realm of possibility at all that first round pick could be in this conversation. Um, especially when you're talking, all those names that Free mentioned in 32 Thoughts, add on a few more that he says undoubtedly are there. Yeah, I, I think you can easily get a first round pick. And that's when you go back to exactly what you just said, Vix. Okay. First team offers you a first round pick. Team X offers you a first for Tanev and maybe something else. You go back to Team Y, Team Z, Team A, B, C, so on and so forth and say, okay, we've got a first round pick. Are you willing to up the offer? Can you get us a first? Can you? And if the answer is no, well, then you go back to that first deal. If the answer is yes, well, maybe you can see what you can leverage and see if you can get a little bit more out of another team, so on and so forth. But I don't think, uh, even if you asked me a month ago, I would have been like, yeah, maybe, but probably not. Now I'm feeling a whole lot more confident that uh, that a first-round pick is out there, especially when you start hearing about other asking prices of first-round picks for defensemen that I don't think have the same impact Chris Tanev makes. Well, if you just go off of Elliot's article, he mentioned seven teams, not including the Edmonton Oilers. So if you want to lump the Edmonton Oilers in, that's eight. So eight out of 31 other NHL teams, which is 25.8%, by the way, did the math, nice, nice. not on the fly, but I still did the math. Very nice. Suddenly, you're not talking about you having a conversation with one team or two teams. This is a, an all-out bidding war for Chris Tanev's services. The more teams that are involved, naturally, the price goes up. And you mentioned some of the other names that are out there on the blue line. You're right. And from my perspective, and maybe you're, you're either too close to it, because sometimes if you're too close to it, you tend to either undervalue or overvalue your players or your assets or your the team that you cover day in, day out. But what Chris Tanev gives you and gives the dressing room of the team that acquires him that is making a playoff push or has Stanley Cup aspirations, you can't help. But if Chris Tanev's in your locker room, you cannot but help to raise your battle level when you see some of the things that he does out there, some of the stuff that he battles through out there for the team. So you're getting a defenseman that slots in at maybe a number four, maybe a number five, depending on how competitive your team is and how deep your blue line is. That's going to probably eat up first PK minutes. That's going to set the tone 
for your team in the playoffs when you need to be the most competitive and you need to have that battle level raise. Yeah, I can understand the asking price elevating and elevating and elevating because there's just so many teams involved and what you're getting out of Chris Tanev. A few texts, 960-960. Uh, why don't the Flames keep Tanev and re-sign him? Insane to trade him. Problem is, is that 34 years old, a retooling Flames team, I don't think should get him, uh, should, should give him, rather, a four-year deal. I don't think a four-year deal for any 34-year-old player with the way the Flames are going makes a ton of sense. And I think Tanev will get four years easily on the open market. I actually, honestly... Yeah, I do too. Whether it's Ottawa or Montreal or a Toronto team that needs that type of player or another team that goes out in the playoffs this year and one of the main reasons why is because they just were too easy to play against on their blue line. I think a team would easily go three, four years on Tanev, no questions asked. I just don't think a 34-year-old defenseman for where the Flames are going on a four-year deal makes a lot of sense, especially when you've got the opportunity to get the type of return. You'll never have Chris Tanev at this peak value ever, ever again. This is, if you're ever going to do it, this is the time to do it. The other thing to consider here, and I'm just going to say this with no insider information whatsoever, but what if Chris Tanev, come July 1, wants to explore free agency and he wants to see what's out there and to the point of, well, why wouldn't the Flames just keep him? It's not entirely Calgary's decision. Chris Tanev is an unrestricted free agent. He'll be free to go about looking at offers and entertaining offers from other teams. And if there's a team out there with a destination that he prefers, with more money that he prefers, yeah. with longer term that he prefers, I mean, I can't help but say it. If I'm Chris Tanev, I'm considering all those other things as well. So it's not just a Calgary consideration. It's what Chris Tanev wants moving forward as well. Uh, this says, boys, an honest question. If Tanev's so sought after, why would the Flames not ask for anything but a first-round pick? Also, is there a possibility he could be a rental on another team then come back to Calgary next season? He'd be the type of guy I'd want in that locker room to lead the younger players. So I think that is where they are. I think that they're very much like, yeah, we're looking for a first-round pick and should be. Um, and then the other part to that question is, is that a possibility? Yes. Do I see it as a likely possibility? No, because it happens so rarely. It happens too. rarely. And and again, if they weren't going to be able to agree to a contract now, and what I say is true, that he'll be able to get those multi-years elsewhere, why, I think he loves it here, but why would he re-sign with the Flames? That, out of the question, not completely. Likely, in my eyes, I don't think it is. Um this says from Frank and Springbank, I think Conroy would get run out of town if he trades Tanav to Edmonton. I agree. Um, what else we got here at 960-960? This says Tanav's not worth a first-round pick. Low second-round tops. I, I think you'll be surprised. Um, good chance you'll be surprised. And I don't think that this guy, because I read one of his earlier texts, I don't think this, this, this I don't know if it's a guy, or but this potential person, Maybe it's AI, but uh, I don't think this. I don't think this texter um, has seen enough of Chris Tanev to really appreciate just how he impacts the game everywhere. He's more than block shots and no teeth. He is he is one of the elite shutdown defensemen in the NHL. One of the high end puck moving defensemen in the NHL. Puck retrieving as puck well. Retrieving that's defense. a big thing. I don't like his outlet passes are top tier. He doesn't get points like. Some guys do because maybe his offense, well, definitely his offensive high end isn't there, but his, his ability 
to get pucks back, kill plays, and get the puck out of the... Not off the glass and out. It's get the puck out onto a stick of a teammate so they can transition. There's nobody better on the team than, than Chris Tanev, and there are... I don't know, maybe 15 or 20 defensemen in the league who are better at doing it. It just so happens that a lot of them also put up 45, 50, 55 points a year. That's not Tanev's game, but I don't think this texter has the appreciation of of Tanev that perhaps they should. The other element we're not considering, too, is what if the Flames retain salary to accommodate some of these destinations and or take on some salary back in terms of a roster player? That just amplifies the return value as well. We all know how precious and how expensive opening up cap spaces for teams that are trying to make moves. Yeah. That just elevates the the value and the worth even further. Uh, this says curious if the Tanev buzz was this big when he was on his last year with Vancouver prior to signing as a free agent with the flames. He was younger and I would think would have been high demand in high demand. That's from Chris and Copperfield. Um, the problem with that is that Vancouver at the time in 2020 was in a playoff spot, fighting for a playoff spot, and fully believed they were going to retain Tanev. So I don't think he was ever on the table, honestly, at the 2020 trade deadline before COVID hit. Um, this says Conroy's done a pretty good job so far. Only thing he's probably worried about is Tanev getting injured. Probably you can get more than a first for him. Um, yeah, I uh, I think that there is a lot of worry right now about whether or not he's going to, which is why I think we're now in the, it's getting close to it time because now you're starting to get offers that are more in the ballpark for him. Now you can really start to hit it a little bit more. And then it's, that's when you really start worrying about the risk of injury, right? Yeah, absolutely. The other thing too, is to consider even when you're looking at if it's going to be a first round pick coming back, Going back to October, November, December, those draft picks don't really have a name or a face attached to them. And even to this point, they don't necessarily do. But amateur meetings, midterm meetings have wrapped for all 32 teams and teams are starting to build their lists. And if you're talking to Team X and they're picking between, you know, 18 and 24, you can look at your list and go, huh, so if we trade Tana for a first, we're likely to get one of these four or five prospects we have on our list. Suddenly you're not looking at it as, Chris Tanev for a first round pick you're looking at it as Chris Tanev and he will return us one of these four or five players that we highly covet in the draft already yeah. we've got our list in order we know roughly who's going to fall into what range pending surprises which do happen but that's why you have a list suddenly you're able to attach a tangible return for Chris Tanev as well uh this says Tanev's not a five or six any team that wants him will put him in the top four right away first round pick all day that's from Joe in Calgary um this says come on Pat best on the team and outlet passing sorry Anderson's much better I'm not trying to disparage Raz at all because he's very good at but go watch Tanev and watch the plays that he makes under pressure under duress to make sure that that puck stays in it's elite. It is It is out-of-this-world stuff. Well, and it's his decision-making in a split second under duress is what really does it. Yeah. Uh, and again, he's not flashy about it. He's not Makar. He's not skating it out and leading rushes. That's not what he is. But he still is extremely effective of helping the Flames transition to the other end of the ice. Um, what else we got here? A few more texts, 96960. Um, this says, I'd be more than willing to sign Tanev to a four-year deal. If they lose Hannafin, the Flames will need some serious leadership for the young D coming. That comes from Steve. Um, what else we got here at 96960? Uh, is Seattle an option for Tanev? Two Tanevs are better than, better than one. I mean, maybe. Well, again, and somebody else says there's no way he's getting four years. 
on an I, open market where you're not sacrificing an asset, I 100% can see it. I could see Ottawa giving him four years without, like, I would almost guarantee you Ottawa would give him four years if that's what it would take for him to sign there. So I, I think absolutely he could get four year, uh, four years on the open market. Okay, we'll see where it goes, but it sure does feel like we're starting to move into the, uh, as, as Dr. Strange would say, we're in the end game now. So we'll see if uh, we'll see if it comes to fruition by the end of the week, early next week, whatever. We'll see how it goes. Uh, it's Steinberg and Vickers. You don't know that reference. No, I do. Oh, you do? But in my head, I had Dr. Feelgood. And then when you came up with that, I'm like, what? So that's just on me. It's a rare but non, although, I think you should leave reference that I made. Because usually that's all I make is I think you should leave reference. Yeah, that's fair. I just thought maybe you'd make a DC reference instead like you did yesterday. I did make a good Batman one yesterday. No, that was not. That was definitely on purpose. Well, you did say it was going to be Marvel. No, I said, I said, here's another superhero. Okay, touche. I'll give you that. Gosh, tough crowd today. Vickers semantics. Vickers strikes again. Never. I've never seen semantics from you before in my life. Uh, Vickers Steinberg, along with you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Worried about radon? They install custom mitigation systems to reduce your risk. To find out more, visit dlbasementsystems.com for a free estimate. Flamestock is on the air and streaming on the Sportsnet mobile app. Sportsnet 960 The Fan, Calgary. Steinberg, Vickers, and it's time to go inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. It's that time to stock up for the celebrations that matter with ingredients that help make memories. Visit Calgary Co-op where life's in store. And on Thursdays, we go inside hockey with our uh, goaltending guru. We head to Vancouver and check in with... Kevin Woodley of In Goal Magazine and NHL.com. We got lots to lean on with Kevin on this Thursday, including lots of goaltending stuff. But uh, Mr. Woodley, appreciate the time as always. Let's uh, let's start with your NHL.com duties and your uh, Vancouver correspondent duties because uh, it was a week ago that we saw a blockbuster trade between the Flames and Canucks. Now that we've had a now that we've had a week to digest and. We've seen Kuzmenko debut for the Flames and Lindholm with a two-goal effort in his debut with the Canucks. How uh, how does Kevin Woodley reflect on that Lindholm-Kuzmenko blockbuster? Well, I mean, he kind of fits here in Vancouver. Um, a team that's, you know, pretty clearly all in, has Stanley Cup aspirations, whether it's pretty premature to, to say that for a team and a group that hasn't even been in the playoffs for so long, perhaps, but obviously this is a special season, and Lindholm fits the profile here, right? Guy that has played some defense, guy that maybe didn't have the offensive numbers this year um, in Calgary that they're hoping to see from him once he arrives here, playing you know, with more experience, higher-end talent in Elias Patterson on one way, or at least in the middle with him. They started him on right wing, but a guy who also has pedigree defensively. Like, uh, you know, we all know that when he was part of that season, one of the best lines in hockey, if not the best lines in hockey with Kachuk and Gaudreau, um, for all the offense they produced, that's still a Daryl Sutter team, right? So there's that yep. defensive pedigree, and that's that's what the Canucks need. Guys who have top six up, upside, but take care of their own end as well. And that was where sort of the rub was with Kuzmenko. Listen, that guy can score. You've already seen the shot. And I'm telling you, like, talking to goalies after practice here in Vancouver, and I was like, Colin Delia and Thatcher Demko and Spencer Martin last season, you'll see it. You'll see it in practice. He stays out there late. He wants to work on his shot. Uh, and it's deadly. Like, it's, you know, they know what's coming. They load up for it. And there's times where they just can't 
stop it. And there aren't a lot of guys in the league that can beat goalies clean off open, clean looks um, the way Kuzmenko has the ability to do. Now, he lost some confidence this year with that shot, for sure. Um, You will see when he isn't feeling as confident with it, there's a tendency to dust it off a little bit to load it up and, and it's good enough. Like he, he can load it up and he can take that extra second and still beat guys. But today's game is so much about not letting goalies get set uh, and quick releases off lateral plays so that they have to go East West and you're shooting before they get there and square up on you. Like that's a lot of how you create offense in the NHL. And then when, when the confidence sags, I think that's where you see him want to hold the puck on his stick and stick handle a little more before he gets that release off. Um, so that's one thing to keep an eye out if you're playing side. Now the other end, and this is interesting because Rick Tockett went out of his way to praise uh, Elias Lindholm the other night. Obviously, two goals off power play deflections. They're using him net front, and that's an area that Kuzmenko sort of struggled this year, where he was good last year. If you look at uh, sort of the the goal charts of how he scored last season, as much as we you know, I mean, he's, you know, he's got spin moves and he's, there's a ton of offensive dynamic upside in Andre Kuzmenko. He's fun to watch that way. But a lot of his goals in the 39 goal season were sort of tips and deflections. And this is, this is one here that got a little bit lost. I think even in Vancouver, I kind of lamented it locally on the airwaves that I didn't ask him myself for all the attention on the offensive slump this season in the first 16 games, yeah, the goals were down. But he was, he was three goals and 11 assists. He had 14 points in the first 16 games in this season. Then on November 16th, J.T. Miller takes a, a slap shot on the power play and absolutely flushes him in the face right off the chin. Actually, I think it was a game in Calgary that he missed on November 16th, but he only missed the yeah. one game. Like, it was scary looking. The kind of thing that might make you a little hesitant to go to the front of the net, which is why, you know, after a night where, where Lindholm scores two net front on the power play and Tockett goes out of his way to point it out after the trade, and you look at Kuzmenko's numbers kind of fell off a cliff and all the healthy scratches started after that. You know, like I said, maybe something for you guys to ask, because I, I got to admit, maybe it's a language barrier, maybe there's just so many other good things going on around here that I never went and asked, like, hey, like, and you, and you know guys don't want to talk about it, but there was a little bit of gun shyness to be net front. Uh, talk, it talked about him being off to the side of the goaltender instead of in the goaltender's eyes on the power play, you know, a couple times after that during this season. And I, I don't know about you guys, but I get to wear a giant mask when I play hockey, and I've still lost a tooth to a slap shot off the face. Uh, the idea of going there and standing in front of the way those guys shoot it um, without a mask on, taking one and then being willing to go right back out there, I'd be hesitant. And I just wonder how much maybe that played in, into some of the offensive decline. Because it sure sounds like, I don't want to put words in Rick Tockett's mouth, but just the way you juxtapose all those things, it sure sounds like that was a part of the problem he started to have with him here in Vancouver. Kev, you mentioned Lindholm being at the net front on the power play and using him that way with the man advantage. I'm just curious, at 5-on-5 when they lined up, we saw him on the right side. Is that going to be a long-term spot for him, or do you see him more returning down the middle once he gets accustomed and used to the Vancouver Canucks? Yeah, to be honest with you, Aaron, I think they see him as an interchangeable part, and they like that flexibility. They've got a lot of guys like that. Like Pew Suter's kind of a probably ideally suited as a third line center, but they've got him playing left wing on the, on the, on the, I guess I was going to say the top line 
because um, for, for the longest time, you know, it was Miller and Besser and whoever was there were the top line. Just because, I hate to say it, but the struggles of Kuzmenko offensively uh, when he was with Pedersen. So whether you call Pedersen or Miller's line the top line, um, they've kind of had, you know, a, a guy who could otherwise play center uh, be on the wing on those lines for the last little while. And I don't know how this shakes out. Like Elias Pedersen is also a hell of a center. Uh, Talkie even hinted after the first game that, you know, as much as they needed that boost in their top six, and he obviously brought it on the power play that game, uh, and they also used him in shutdown minutes, uh, in heavy matchups, and we'll keep an eye tonight on, you know, whether if, if he can control the matchup, does he, does he have them out in Boston, uh, you know, against the Pasternak unit? Um, you know, there's, there's a chance that he could run three strong. Like, you could, you could split up the two Eliases, Lindholm and Pedersen, and have a top three center of J.T. Miller, Elias Pedersen, or Elias Lindholm. Mm. So they've got options. They like the fact they have options. I think what how, what they see in Lindholm in terms of giving them is whether it's at wing, whether it's at center. I mean, if, you know, even as a wing, he's taking faceoffs on his strong side for that line, especially in the defensive end, even without having learned their penalty kill, kill systems here. And he said that would be uh, because they do kill here differently. That will be a bigger adjustment for him. They still sent him out their first guy out to take the first draw, win the first draw and get off. So um, they clearly trust him. They don't have any other right shot center. So for key defensive zone faceoffs, he'll definitely be the guy in the middle. Let's be honest. There's an there's an element of interchangeability there. Yeah. And what they like is the defensive presence he brings. Because as good a season as he's having, and as much as he likes to, you know, like has prided himself, especially early in the year, in being a matchup guy and going head-to-head against McDavid in those first three games where the Canucks kind of cleaned their clocks when Edmonton was struggling. I don't know that you want J.T. Miller to be a shut-down guy come playoffs. And now with Patterson, who's got a strong defensive presence, and Lindholm on the, on the same line, like that's not a bad shutdown line or a matchup line. You can go head-to-head with another team's top line and hopefully not just win your battle, but create offense out of it. And I think they might be more comfortable with them in that matchup role than they are with anyone uh, alongside J.T. Miller. We're chatting with Kevin Woodley of In Goal Magazine and NHL.com. Joins us Thursdays here on Flames Talk. And uh, there's uh, there's some good chat on the deal between the Canucks and Flames. Uh, Kevin's also the NHL.com correspondent for the Vancouver Canucks. So some good insight on the Lindholm-Kuzmenko swap that we saw last week. Um, wanna wanna pick your brain on on the goaltending expertise side of things as well, Kevin. And and you know. Well, there, there's been a lot of talk in this market, and it seems to be daily that it's brought up by fans or brought up by somebody, and that is the future of Jacob Markstrom in Calgary and the potential of the Flames dealing Markstrom in season. And we've talked to you already this year. We know how high you are and what some of the metrics tell us about how strong Markstrom has been for the Flames this year. I don't know if he's going to get dealt. Um, all I know is that it seems rare for top goaltenders to be moved, especially during a season. I'm just curious uh, your insight on why it does seem rare or it is rare that guys get moved in season and if it's something that, that usually works out for teams. Well, I think it's, you know, it's largely because general managers for the most part and hockey as a sport is kind of risk averse, right? I think we can agree on that. Um, and more often than not, these have been more missed than hit, especially late in the season. And I think the one that 
kind of gave everyone pause. This is going back a few years. Was was Ryan Miller? That's the one the that always Blues. comes to mind for me. They he was there for like what three months, and it was a complete waste of assets. Yeah, and he actually played pretty well in the regular season. The bottom just fell out in the playoffs. So that kind of became the cautionary tale, right? And listen, like there's elements to it that make sense, um, but sort of born out of that and and ensuing conversations with Ryan Miller especially, I've kind of come up with a checklist on sort of what should what should give you caution before expecting a good goalie on another team to be a good goalie on your team. And, and, and Ryan Miller sort of checked all those boxes. And he admitted that to me. And even later in his career, he's like, I don't check as many boxes now as I did then. And so the first one is, have they, have they changed teams before? Ideally mid-season, but that is kind of rare, as we said, for goaltenders. But have they changed teams before? Have they gone through that process? Do they understand what it's like not just to switch systems? And listen, systems matter, obviously. I, you are going to hear me over the course of the next however long we're on together talk probably every segment. I will say something along the lines of goaltending does not exist in a vacuum. You know, we talked about defensive environments and expected save percentages. Goaltending does not exist in a vacuum it is dependent on what is happening in front of that and it's not just whether it's good d or bad d it's a goaltender's ability to read off that defense to read plays to anticipate if you're a goalie and the shot's on its way before you know where it's going it's already past you right like you have to be able to not only anticipate and read off of what offensive players are trying to do read releases read sticks read hands read hips read heads read whether that backdoor option is a one-timer threat or not because if it is a one-timer versus like going across body on a guy, it changes the angle you push across, how far you push, how much time you have to get there. Like, these are the reads that matter. And we do these at Ingle Magazine. Actually, every week we sit down with an NHL goaltender, and, and coincidentally the one we have this week is with Dustin Wolf, where we review video of saves, and they walk us through what they're looking for and what they're reading off of and what goes into. And it's amazing. It's like quarterback. In, in football, with like everything flying yeah. around them, they have to make the right play, but they don't get to dictate any of the play. And so many times in those video sessions over the past couple of years, and there's over 200 of them online for us, this is the one that blew me away. How much of that read is trusting what your defensemen and defensive players are going to do? And so it's not just learning the system. It's learning the individual tendencies within that system, and that takes time and that's why trade deadline often doesn't give you enough time that's why minnesota a couple years ago when they acquired mark-andre Fleury, i couldn't understand why they weren't playing him constantly because he needed more time to adjust and they were they were going back and forth i think every second game with him and cam talbot which is fine if he's been there all year to have a tandem between two aging guys but to to actually like not play him when he needs those minutes to get used to those tendencies i remember miller later on in his career there was a defenseman here, and I'm struggling with the name. It was a Russian defenseman, big six foot eight guy that came in. Uh, and Ryan Miller, Trampkin? like three months into the season, Trampkin. Miller, three months into the season, like, hey, I'm finally getting comfortable reading off that guy. And I'm like, whoa, 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 well, time out. Three months in, you're just getting comfortable reading off that guy? In terms of, you know, we know what the system says, how we play in a two on one, but is he going to pressure that guy at the blue line, at the top of the circle, at the hash marks? Knowing how each guy, and whether you can trust each guy, to operate within that system takes time. 
And at the trade deadline, you don't have a lot of that time. So if a guy's never been through it before, like Ryan Miller hadn't, and the system was totally different from one team to the other, and he'd only been in one spot for years playing mostly behind the same guys, and he was a goalie who played with a lot of rhythm and flow, and the team system didn't give up a lot of rush chances. It was more spot-to-spot in zone. There's also horses for courses like golf. There are guys that fit certain systems. This is a question I can tell you for a fact this year, some teams are asking about Jacob Markstrom. Yes, he looks amazing this year behind a Flames team that's looser defensively. We can see that. We can see the numbers. With an expected of 874, he's one of the best goalies in the league. But his expected in our team might be closer to 900. And he's not going to be stopping bullets in his teeth. And he's not going to be as busy. And he's not going to be in rhythm do we still get the best out of Jacob Markstrom in our system behind that defensive environment like Calgary is right now? And so there are a lot of different factors that go into whether a goalie fits on a team, but then you also add in the fact that the more adjustments he has to make both to the individuals and personnel and also to how maybe how he plays, the, the more that changes, the more time it takes. And right. You know, horses for courses. Let me give you one, one good example that summarizes it perfectly. Eddie Lack in Carolina. I love Eddie Lack. I still think he was an NHL goalie. He went from here in Vancouver. He was a spot-to-spot, play-deep, Lundquist-style goalie that had a ton of success. He arrives in Carolina, and they're like, well, we give up more rush chances, so now we want you to be more aggressive initially, and we want you to be more of a skating backwards flow goalie. Not quite, not to the extremes, but that. I've been to camps where you could identify Eddie Lack as the worst skater within five minutes in an NHL goalie camp. You were asking him to play to his biggest weakness and away from his biggest strength. That is an example of a horse that did not fit the course. And the results, frankly, were predictably bad. Yeah. Um, We're chatting with Kevin Woodley in Goal Magazine. NHL.com joins us on Thursdays. It's uh, Steinberg and Vickers along with you on Flames Talk. And Vicks, you know, when I... When I said this going into the break, I said, hey, I'm really excited to talk about this one with, with Kevin, and your eyes lit up as well. Because you, you take a look at, and I know that you're a goalie gear nerd. You are Gear a, nerd. I'm learning so much in the last 10 minutes about goalies. 100%. But, Kevin, we, we've, got the, we've got the return of best-on-best best international hockey, and, and we're about a year, a year away from kind of our, our appetizer to it in this Four Nations Challenge. And, you know... It, it really begs the question because you, you, when, when you sent me the text, you're like, you go take a look at who the United States could have as their three goaltenders next year and at the 2026 Olympics in Italy, who their, who their three goalies could be. It's like a smorgasbord is in terms of who's, who they can choose from. And yet for our country, you don't get that same type of feel at all. I'm, I'm just curious as to how you even just handicap the two countries between the pipes. Well, I mean, it's an embarrassment of riches in the United States, right? Like, you know, Connor Hellebuck. And again, courses for horses, if I'm going to play, if, you know, because if you look at all the offensive defensemen that might be on Team USA and some of the talent that they have, if they decide they want to go fire wagon hockey, like just end-to-end chase, as much as I love Connor Hellebuck, um, best goalie in the world without a doubt in straight lines, east-west, that answer changes. So that's a factor if you're the United States and choosing, but that's okay if you're in the United States and you have to make that choice because you've got, I don't know, Thatcher Demko. Yep. I guess Jake Ottinger's having a bit of a down year, but still Jake Ottinger. Yep. Um, Jeremy Swayman. 
Joseph Wall, who, by the way, when he's healthy, the, the, the Leafs don't have anything to worry about when it comes to goaltending. That kid was en route to a Vezina Trophy nomination-type season when he got the high ankle sprain. And he is, you know, speaking of those videos that we sit down and do, I did one with him recently here in Vancouver when the Leafs came through town, and that kid is legit, thinks the game at every level, just so impressive. Um, like, I think you could probably go 10 deep with American options and still feel pretty good about it. Right, like there are there are so many good options. It's kind of like we, we felt about Russia just a couple of years ago, right? With Vasilevsky and Shesterkin and Sorokin and Bobrovsky, and the Americans even go deeper. In Canada, tops of my list right now is definitely Aiden Hill, and you know that should I mean, folks in Calgary know all about Aiden Hill. When he won the the Stanley Cup last year, as much as the focus was on the great defensive team, and listen, Vegas, the way they defend again, horses for courses, the way they defend fixed fits the strengths and weaknesses of his game to a T. They still give up high danger plays, usually low slot line below the hash marks across the middle. That's the most dangerous play that you can give up, and they still give those up. It's also one of the plays he excels at more than anyone else. Like just plays deep, Sean Burke, Benoit Lair style, everything in front of him, big body, long limbs, stays over top of his knees, so he's not just reaching with a leg. He's actually got vertical coverage built over top of it, like so many nice pieces. And I said... He outperformed the defensive metrics in Vegas during the playoffs at a level that would win you a Vesna trophy if he did it all season long. Like he was full value for that cup. And this year he's actually been, we saw it again last or Tuesday night against the Oilers to end the streak. He's actually been even better. The only downside about Aiden Hill is his inability so far early in his career to stay healthy. So let's monitor that. And if he can't stay healthy, who's the next option? I would argue Jordan Bennington. Another guy who the numbers, the raw numbers might not scream, but that's a team in, in St. Louis that ever since they won the cup, the narrative that they're good defensively is exactly that. Low expected save percentages lean heavily on goaltenders, and Bennington has struggled to deliver it from start to finish through each season since, but it has had stretches, especially at the beginning of all those seasons, where you can see he's a legit high-end, high-end number one goaltender and should be. Antics aside, and that's a debate for another day, which should be on this list for Canada. Other guys, we're into the Tristan Jaris. Lots of up and downs in that game, but he's coming, coming around again this season. Another name that you might not think of, Connor Ingram. Connor Ingram's numbers since December 2022, so last year and a couple of months, are amongst the best in the NHL. So there are options in Canada, but the fact there aren't more, yeah. given how hockey mad we are, should be frustrating and infuriating, especially given how many great goalie coaches we have in this country. Um, and there's tons of them at the private level. We will have to pick this one up for another day, and it will probably ruffle, ruffle some feathers there in Calgary. But the, complete, the lack or comparative lack because of the way it's delivered so inadequately and in, in, ineffectively and, and frankly just not delivered enough compared to the U.S., we just don't have a national goaltending plan with any cohesion or any power behind it. I know Canadian goaltenders that actually go to the States and do the American certification program. And that's where, in addition to having more athletes potentially, and, and as more and more people play hockey down there, that's where they're killing us. Um, I, we could go on and on about how the CHL is not a, an effective development path for goaltenders in Canada as well. There's problems there with how they've done it. Um, but, but at the heart of it, we just don't, and we, we haven't worked other countries have for over a decade now 
have a really strong plan to develop goaltenders. In we don't have anybody in this entire country who's actually employed by the national governing body just to focus on what I would argue, and I'm biased, is the most important position. Uh, we will get into that next week, and also we'll dive uh, right in on that Dustin Wolf stuff. Not only uh, your, uh, your your latest with him at Ingoal Magazine and the breakdown, but also um, uh, kind of a, a development conversation on Dustin as well. Looking forward to that. Kevin, as always, great stuff, man. We'll do it again next week. Really appreciate the time, hey? I Hey, my pleasure. I promise I'll actually tone down on the coffee next week, and we'll get through a few more questions. <laughs> no, this is, this is money. We always learn, man. Uh, appreciate it, hey? Have a great week, guys. Uh, Kevin Woodley, In Goal Magazine, NHL.com, Inside Hockey for Calgary Co-op. Flames fans, meet Cal and Gary. Top products curated for Calgarians, and we mean every single one of you. Only available at Calgary Co-op. Visit them today. Thank you, Vix. Uh, have yourself a wonderful rest of your week. I shall. Thank you. Uh, Aaron Vickers on Twitter at AA Vickers. Thanks to Shan and Cam, our producers, this hour as we wrap it up on the Sports Drive. Brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Simplify your life with a security ecosystem. Go to calgarylockandsafe.com to request a security audit and get a tailored solution.